Tanya for the sixth of Tevis. First, the story. The Rebbe Maharash one time told his Hasidim that he was going to go on a trip. And he brought along his two attendants. And he brought along two very wealthy Hasidim as well. And they traveled to Paris. And when they got there, the Rebbe Maharash told them, Shmuel of Lubavitch, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, he told them that he wants to go to the Alexander Hotel which is a very, very expensive hotel. And in the hotel itself, he found a room and then he found another, a subsequent room. And he was looking for a very, very expensive room. And finally he found a, a, a really expensive room that was near the gaming room, the gambling room. And he bought the, he bought the, um, the, the ex extremely expensive um, prices for the, for, the, for the rooms. And the two other Hasidim found uh, cheaper hotels, because this, this hotel is ex unbelievably expensive. And the Ramarash told them that he, he'll talk to, he'll, because they're uh, Batlanim, he talks in French, he'll, he'll do the talking. And at some point, he went to the gaming room and he walked, he walked up to a person that was gambling and he sat down next to him and he told the person, and the person was sipping on wine while he was gambling. And the Ramarash told him, he said that. A person's not allowed to drink non-kosher wine. And then a while later, he turned to the same person and said that drinking non-kosher wine, it dulls the heart and dulls the mind. And it's not the way that a, a Jew should behave. And then the Rebbe Marash was very, very bothered. And one of the Hasidim that were there, his name was Yeshaya Berlin. He was there and he commented that he'd never seen the Rebbe Marash this bothered, this like perturbed. And the Rebbe Marash walked away. And a while later, this man started looking at, try, trying to find the Rebbe Marash. He went in to go talk to Rebbe Marash and talked to him for a very long time. And afterwards, Rebbe Marash said that, that this man had a soul that was unbelievably high. In many generations, a soul this high hadn't come down to this world. But it, it, had, it, had, it had been impurified. It had been affected by this world in a negative way. And Eventually, this person turned his life around and ended up becoming a, a very a God-fearing person and put his life back on a, on a healthy track. But it's an incredible story. On the note of, of unhealthy behavior and, and selfish and non-productive behavior, chapter six continues the discussion of the animalistic soul. And the animalistic soul is all about selfishness. And so much of its behavior might not, might not, might not be identified as destructive per se. It might just be regular behavior. But the chapter six of the Tanya makes it abundantly clear that something is either holiness or it's unholiness. And there's nothing in between. There's no, there's no gray area. This gray area that we're conditioned to believe exists in order to make ourselves feel comfortable and not feel dreadful about ourselves. The Tanya makes it clear, no, it just doesn't work like that. It's either good, and if it's not good, it's not good, and it's bad. And if, it's, and if there's goodness to be found, it's good. But if, the, if, it's, if it doesn't let God's presence inside of it, well, then it's not good anymore. Then it can be potentially redeemed at some point, but in, that, in the state that it's in, it's not good. Continuing on this, on this train of thoughts. Any speech and thoughts that are for Hashem, so you have a neutral thought, you're thinking about something random. It's not godly, but it doesn't, it's not destructive. You're not hurting anyone by thinking it. So you say, well, this is, this is the gray zone. 
says Al Shabbat, no. Shazel Pirish Lashon Sitra Acha. This is what it means, the other side, Pirish. When we say impurity, we, the, the terminology we use is the other side. But people use the term loosely. They don't realize it's quite literal. Pirish, Sad Acha, Sha'ina Sad Akadish. What it means, the other side, when we say impurity, it means the other side. It means the other side, it's not holiness. Okay, it's the other side. That's it. It's either holiness or that. But Sad Akadish, Aina Ela Shrava, and Shacha, and Kadisha, Kajbaho, and Kajbaho, Shaya, Ela, Dabashabat, Etsis, Rach, Vaina, Payamamish, Kamalaka, and Yanim, and Mikoya, call Ishi Solomata, Shukaifu, Yes, Batamamish, Lagabe, a Kajbaho, and Messiah, Stashel, Kishashashem. Says Al Trevor. There's one protocol that's in place that enables something to be godly, and that is if it leaves room for God. So then now that the, now that the Tanya's explained to us how how good and evil work, you say, well, it's so the lines are so clear in the sand, it's black or the and there's and the, there's dark and, and 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 evil or it's or it's goodness. And you say, okay, fine. So how does something become goodness if there's no gray in between? People understand gray, but black and white and um, it's it's it becomes so much less complex. So then you say, well, how does goodness operate? And the answer is, if it lets in godliness, if it has nullification and it has the ability to let godliness in, then it's then it's godliness. If it's not, then it's egotistical and it repels God and it doesn't let God in. So angels, for example, are so nullified to God. They 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 don't have an ego. They don't have their own desires, what they want to do. So therefore, they let God into their lives, whatever their, whatever life means for an angel, and they let godliness express themselves a hundred percent. And therefore, their godliness, they 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 on the side of, of godliness because they. And when we do that in our own life, when we say, you know what, I'm not going to put my own ego and motivation and agenda into my life, and I'm going to let God shine through through me by doing what He wants me to do. That's holy. And when we do what God wants us to do, we actually let holiness ex shine through us. And when a person, for example, says, you know what, um, um, he has the option to either live or, or, or martyrdom, you know, um, bow down to an idol or, or get killed. When he says, you know what, I'm going to let God do, I'm going to make it about God, not about what I want to do and continue living. At that point, he enables godliness to shine through him. That's why the Chum said, the rabbis say that if a person sits and learns Torah, one person alone, you're not talking about a community doing together, God's presence dwells in that person because he's expressing God in that moment. It's not about himself. He's learning godliness. He's learning Torah. And at that moment, the godliness shines through him and it's not about himself. And therefore, it becomes about God. And whenever there's 10 Jewish people together, God's presence dwells, um, dwells with them. Why? Because they're letting godliness ex ex be expressed. Of a And now comes now the altar is reinforcing it now from the other side. But anything that isn't surrendered and nullified to God, it feels itself to be independent. It doesn't get energy. If someone walks into a room and says, "Well, I'm the most important person," well then. They won't be able to receive from anyone else. If they say, I'm the smartest person in the room, they're not willing to listen to wisdom from anyone else. They won't get any more wisdom from anyone else. If someone walks in and says, well, I don't really know what I'm talking about. There are smarter people here. They'll be able to actually receive the wisdom. Same thing with God. If a person says, I'm I'm an existence, well, that's fine. But then there's no place for them to get God's energy to make, to, to let God's energy rush through them because they've made, them, made this all about themselves. 
Now the question, of course, is, wait a second, if a person's not getting his energy from God, because he's made it all about himself, let's say, for example, a person says, okay, I want to have a day where I just do whatever I want. It's all about me today. I'm having a me day. And it's, you know, to the contrary, you're allowed to have vacation days and all that in, in the appropriate way, but he makes it about, not to, to the exclusion of God. It's not about, it's about God. Well, then how, if he doesn't let God into his life, then how does God give him the energy to continue existing? Aren't we all being created every single moment from God? That's a basic principle, which is going to be explored in the second book of Tanya. But that's such a basic. So if he's not letting God into his life, and we made it clear, it's either yes, God, or no God, positivity, negativity, and this person's living a life of negativity, or even a few moments of negativity, where he's not letting God into it because he's making it about himself and his ego, then how does God keep him alive? Says, says the Alter Rebbe in the Tanya like this. There's the direct system, the face-to-face -face system, where a person receives direct energy from God. And then there's when God throws it behind his back. He gives him the energy because were God not to create someone in a single second, it, they wouldn't die that cease to be. We're recreated every single moment over and over and over again. So God has to give us energy in order to be alive. But the question is, we want our energy face-to-face. -face. That's how God gives energy to things that are nullified to God things that are holiness or do we want to throw them behind the back like god gives energy to negativity and things that aren't letting god into their life this theme what i'm about to explain outside it's going to be dwelt upon a lot more throughout the Tanya, but here's a basic principle of it, how, how it operates. It's called contraction. God's energy is so unlimited. And in order for this world to be in tune with it, for a table and chair to exist, it, 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 raw energy would just blow it to bits, and therefore it needs to be broken down. And how it's broken down and how much it's broken down varies from thing to thing. If it's something that's holy and goodness, the broken breaking down process is a lot less reinforced than something that's impure something that's evil and pure They're, for them to get the energy yes they have to get the energy everything comes from god good and evil everything comes from god and comes directly from god the question is how is that process of the energy coming down is does it go along a direct process face-to-face -face type of relationship or is it a relationship where it's broken down through curtains and con contractors and 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 so much dilution of energy until a trickle of a arrives at a destination. That's the difference between when a person chooses to let to, to the side of goodness or the side of evil, let's call it, how that energy of God arrives to them. In both cases, it comes. The question is, which, which level does a person, which way does a person want to receive the energy from God? And tomorrow, God willing, we're going to finish off chapter six on the theme of good and evil, how it all works. Thank you so much for joining the time. Anyone else needs a Thank you so much for joining.